Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. I want to talk about a common danger for this time. A common danger for this time. Note in the scriptures, uh, Proverbs chapter number 22. He says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. Oh, to have a good name. Oh, to have a name that was linked to benevolence and linked to charity. That's a wonderful thing. Verse number two, he says, The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. And then our text really there in verse number three, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the froward. He that doth keep his soul shall be far from them. At verse number five, when you get to that phrase, the way of the froward, if you write in your Bible, you take notes, you circle that word froward. It does not mean forward. Uh, we might talk about an individual that was forward in the context of someone that just spoke their mind and uh, the adage today maybe don't have the filter that they ought to be. But in the book of Proverbs, you'll find that word froward a number of times. A froward individual is always one that is right the opposite of a prudent man. In fact, I think it's Proverbs chapter 8 and maybe around verse 12. He talks about the fear of the Lord is to hate evil in every false way, and the froward mouth do I hate. I think that's Proverbs chapter 8, maybe about verse 12. But the word froward, it means this. It means not willing to comply, even to that which is reasonable. And I think in my mind, I've always etched that in this wise, a rebel without a cause. That's forwardness. Um, God has not made us to be autonomous people. He's made us to be yielded to instruction. And what really is going to make the great difference in our life is whether or not in every scenario of life is whether or not we yield to His commands or whether or not we refuse to yield to His commands. I think that's true as if you were dealing with relationships of life. How do you know which friends you're going to have? Well, the forward mouth, that individual, forward-hearted individual, is going to say, well, I'm going to have the friends I want to have. The prudent individual, they're going to have some discernment in life and they're going to have friends, according to the Scripture, that are going to lead and walk with them in the paths of righteousness. I think of 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 and verse 33, evil, be not deceived, evil communications, do you remember? Corrupt good manners. We're not autonomous people. It's not a set it and forget it thing in life. You have and I have in this life great necessity for wisdom so that we can have prudence, so that we can be led of the Spirit of God in this life. Note there in your notes, a common danger for this time and there are four blanks that you have. You can pick them out of chapter 22 and verse 3. It is a prudent man foreseeth evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. That word evil there 
if you were to do a word study on it, it, it can, um, it's, a, it's a far-reaching word. Sometimes when it's used in the Old Testament, it's used in the context of what initially comes to your mind, evil in the sense of wickedness. But then there are many times in the Scripture where it's used in the sense of calamities, which is not necessarily evil in the sense of moral wickedness, but rather calamities of something that you nor anyone of their right mind would rightly enjoy. For instance, in the book of Isaiah to the prophet, God spoke and he relays the message to the people. He said, I, the Lord, create evil. Well, he's not, it's the same word. He's not talking about that I create moral unrighteousness. But he is talking about the fact that God brings about calamity in the lives of an individual. So when you think about this prudent man, he foreseeth evil. You can look at it either way. In fact, I encourage you in both ways to look at it. The prudent man foreseeth moral unrighteousness, and what does he do? He hideth himself. He doesn't keep walking down the path. He steers himself in a direction. Why? He does not want to be the recipient of that moral unrighteousness and ultimately the consequences that come from it. And he goes on and he says in the passage, but the simple pass on. And uh, the simple is greatly contrasted with a prudent man. To be simple isn't to be ignorant in a sense of having moral or mental rather deficiencies. He's just one that will not adhere to wisdom. He's less, by my estimation, than a fool and certainly less than a scorner, but he will not immerse himself in the reception of the truths of the Word of God. The prudent man does this. Now going back to the prudent man, you could look at this evil and you could say not only does the prudent man hide himself from moral unrighteousness, but he also hides himself from calamities. In a very real sense, a prudent man looks with great caution on the decisions he makes in life. Uh, you take just quick instance, um, we, you know, a lot of adults here this morning, you, you think about the time that either this happened to you or perhaps you witnessed it happening to someone else or you heard this happen uh, to someone, but have you ever heard or had experienced in your life a time where you weren't thinking and did something and as a direct result of what you did, an injury occurred? Has that ever happened to anyone? You could say, that's an evil. You might have, uh, uh, I don't even want to tell on myself because I have a number of embarrassing stories. But, uh, you know, there, there are times that we're just not careful. You get on that ladder and that ladder is not secured and you ran up there and then all of a sudden you got to the top and you fell off to the bottom. You'd look at that as being a calamity and evil. Well, what would the prudent man do? Well, the prudent man might have started before he got on the ladder and looked at all four legs or two, or make sure it was strapped or tethered, but he's going to look before he begins his ascent up that ladder. What's the simple man do? Well, the simple man looks, it'd be all right, it's always all right, always be all right. And then when the calamity comes, he'll always have regret in life. The prudent man is trying to live a life with less regret through the application of wisdom to his life. Now notice your notes. Some struggle, some struggle with seeing the Bible um, relevant, especially today because they see it as a book of antiquity. 
So in our topic that we're speaking on, as we get into some of the technological things later on, a lot look at the Bible and say, I don't think how the Bible could have anything to do with technology because obviously computers and internet and smartphones and things of that nature were not present in the book uh, in the time in which the Bible was written. Well, it's true, but that's not the same thing as saying technology was not around. The Bible, they failed to realize, is a sacred, timeless book that can guide any believer of any age in the path of righteousness. And so, uh, 50 years from now, when we're all floating around on hovercrafts or in hyperloops or whatever the case might be, vacationing on Mars 50 years from now, 100 years from now, um, the fact remains the Bible will still be perfectly up to date. A timeless God authored it. And therefore its principles and its precepts, its truths, both implicit and explicit, are for our understanding. In every age, there are evils. There are evils. What kind? Well, both moral evils, unrighteousness, and calamitous evils, difficulties that arise in life that exist. This is where prudence has great value. A prudent man sees the advancing troubles and has the wisdom, and I should note the wisdom of God. James speaks of there being two wisdoms, a wisdom that is from above and a wisdom that is self, uh, sensual, fleshly, and devilish. It's in James, end of chapter 3. So a prudent man sees the advancing trouble and has the wisdom of God to apply the ultimate uh, that uh, to apply that ultimately produces safety. Notice the uses of the prudent man in the Proverbs. We won't turn to these, so I've put them in the notes. But if you were looking at the prudent man, the Scripture says about him in Proverbs chapter 12, the prudent man covereth shame. In chapter 13, the prudent man dealeth with knowledge. And keep in mind the ETH. What does the ETH signify? There's never a time in his life where he's not learning. In fact, to be prudent means you have to have knowledge. If you have no knowledge whatsoever, you're a simpleton. To be a prudent man requires us, an individual, to continually dealing with knowledge. It's a, it's a tough thing in life, but we, we can't just live in life and say, well, we'll just wing it. We'll just figure it out. I, I, we need to be embracing knowledge, particularly the eternal knowledge of the Word of God. In Proverbs chapter 14, the prudent man looketh well to his goings. I would encourage you again. What's that ETH mean? So there's never a time in this man's life where he's not paying attention to his goings in life. He's not walking down as it would be or uh, running down the road completely unaware of his surroundings. And I'm speaking not in a physical sense, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of speaking in a very broad sense. He's not just engaging in life, not considering the path that he's going on. The scripture says the end of, the, uh, the end of that prudent man, Proverbs chapter 14, he is crowned with knowledge. I think of Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 4 says, with all thy getting, get wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing. Not money. Not education in a sense. 
but the divine precepts of the Word of God, the principles, that's wisdom. Now about this prudent man, he's crowned with knowledge. I find that to be marvelous. I think of Proverbs chapter 8 again. There's the personification of wisdom. It's really in one sense likened to Christ where he talks about wisdom. I was with him at the very beginning, you know. But in Proverbs chapter 8, it talks about wisdom being a crown to your head. That's what this passage here about the prudent man does. It will have delivered him from so much calamitous activity and unrighteousness that those that are his contemporaries will look at him and think, my soul, what is, what's up with this guy? Well, what's up with it is he's had wisdom that God has freely given to any that would ask, and he's applied it, that's discernment and understanding, to the decisions of life. As such, he's deemed prudent as opposed to foolish or simple. At this time, one of the many dangers, not necessarily a sin, but a danger is that of technology. Now, technology, in its historical sense of the world, word deals with advancement. Uh, in fact, uh, a dictionary definition has defined it this way, that technology is the practical application of knowledge to a specific process or method. The practical application of knowledge to a specific process or method. So hence, uh, the method for pro mass production of steel is referred to as the Bessemer process, although my understanding um, is that the Bessemer was an Englishman, but there was an American named, I think, King, who invented the very similar process. And historically, depending on what side of the ocean you're on, you could get in trouble with it. But it, it's commonly referred to as the Bessemer process. And that allowed steel to be created and uh, purified at a mass level. And of course, you think of how it's used in so many ways. And it allowed the advancement of the industrial age, the Bessemer process. It arrived in the 1840s. It revolutionized the steel industry. Now, I know we're not talking about the Bessemer process this morning, but I'm showing how technology works. However, more knowledge soon was acquired and more innovation arrived. Ultimately, a steel manufacturing form called the open hearth process became the most used technique for the production of steel into the 1950s. What happened? They learned more. When they learned more, they applied their knowledge and what happened? Well, there was a change. Faster, better, more steel created, it's better. That is a very definition of technology. And it can be seen in practically every field of endeavor. If you want to talk about the healthcare field, you could talk about technological advancements in the healthcare field. We speak of here the industry of steel, but you could look at other areas of manufacturing. You could look at, at uh, the production of cars. You could look at uh, just the development of the vehicles in the last hundred years with the advancement of more knowledge, more innovation is to follow. But most often when we think of the word technology, we think of this digital age. And there's good reason for this. In the history of humanity, there has been no field of endeavor, no field of endeavor that has advanced as far and as quickly 
as the computing field. It truly is amazing. In fact, not to make you feel old, but really only those born in the last 25 years, give or take, have lived their entire life with the continual growth of internet and smartphones. Now, I am a geriatric millennial. And as of such, I can remember when my dad got our first cell phone. It was the, the, the group he worked for at that time, he had a bag phone. That was the first one. I remember feeling how we were up to date. Some of the guys in church would have these little things on their hip. And if that thing beeped, they'd look at it. Had to look at it right away, and there was a code on it. And that code signified something. You remember those? What were they called? Pagers. We had pagers. Um, then I remember the evolution to the flip phone, you know. And um, I can remember that I was probably 17, 18 years old before we had dial-up internet. And in order to do so, there was no Wi-Fi. I had to run a 50-foot long phone cord from where the computer was to the long phone jack in the house and warn everybody, please step over this. That's what we'd have to do. You, you know, whoever was using the internet, you had to run this cable all the way out. Mom wouldn't let it be permanently installed. She thought it was ugly. So it was 50-foot cable clean across the house. You plug it into the wall jack, and then you'd hear what sounded like the grinding of gears. How many, how many remember that? Now, here's an interesting thing. Very few, if anybody today, logs onto the Internet that way. How do you log onto the Internet? There. When I was 18, that was unheard of. Nobody did that. Almost everybody had some kind of cable that ran from the back of their computer or from the side of their laptop into a box. And then what you would do is you would launch your browser, put in the web address you're going to, go get a cup of coffee, and come back and then you could view the page. That's how it worked. I can remember logging onto certain pages and if they were graphically intense, you know what that means? Had a lot of pictures. Oh my soul. And today, people can pull out their phones and log on to one of about a bazillion streaming services and they can sit there and watch it on their phone. The dating, data processing ability has really exploded. You know, it took humanity much longer to move to different levels of quality of tools. It took them far longer than 25 years to move from iron to steel tools. But it has not taken them 25 years to advance as quickly as has been advanced in technology. I mean, if when I was 17 years old, you'd have told me that there would be a major discussion in the country about autonomous vehicles. Everybody would have thought you'd watched too many episodes of the Jetsons. That's what they would have thought. But today, our country has major conversations about what to do about autonomous vehicles. That means vehicles that basically are driverless. I related to somebody this about uh, two years ago. Um, I was out running an errand with Valerie and she said, I want to stop at the Carnes. And so we went to the Carnes. This is an important part of the story. And I parked and I mean, it started raining cats and dogs. As a good husband, I asked her to escort me to the vehicle. And uh, no, 
we're sitting there and I'm waiting for the rain to die down so that we can just kind of go in. As I'm sitting here, I look and I'm watching people. And this older gentleman, he's coming out, white hair and all. He's kind of hunched over a little bit and he stops. I'm about quarter way down the parking aisle. He stops at the very entryway, just stops. And I, th I couldn't hardly see. I thought, did he drop something? And he just stood there. And he reached in and he, he's fiddling with something. I barely see because of the rain coming down. And I thought, what is this fella doing? Is he trying to work his umbrella? And then all of a sudden I look and this car comes down. It's a white Tesla. And it comes all the way to him, stops, and he gets in the driver's side and takes off. Now that's not something I heard. I saw it with all three of my eyes. That's how far innovation and technology has come. And likely there'll be people in this room that will live and one day you'll take a trip somewhere and you won't actually have to know where you're going precisely, all the directions. But you'll be able to get in a vehicle and punch in, take me to church and get your post-breakfast nap en route to church so you don't have to get it in Sunday school. One day, that's where we're going in life. There is no other technological field that is advanced as quickly and as fast as this area of computing. I think I mentioned this, only those born in the last 25 years have lived their entire life with the continual growth of internet and smartphones. We are only one generation into this digital age and the advancements are coming faster than most can keep up. Consider this, that we have gone from emails to virtual reality in this time. I saw some time ago a fella, it must have been a picture from the late 80s, but I think it was from the 80s and he was and at, oh, he was at O'Hare International Airport, I think it was. And he has this giant bag and he's at a payphone. And some, one of these newspapers had taken a picture of him and he was checking his email. And he had this giant bag and he would open it and he would plug it into the interface somehow of the payphone, put a coin in, and that, that exchange of information would then produce on that bag his text, a graphic of email. And I thought, oh, that's so silly. You can just pull it out of your pocket today and do it. You just check your email, check 10 email accounts if you want. And then they showed pictures of other businessmen would travel with similar type packets and, and the evolution of how that has moved. And today, there are many young people that put on a headset and they're not playing with a controller, Frogger. They are immersed into that gaming experience in so much that they can get hurt because it can seem so real. I'm, I'm just saying they get hurt in a sense of trip over something, not realizing how all moves. It's completely immersive in their life. So where'd the internet come from? I'll just give you a brief paragraph on this. In fact, the internet was birthed as a resource sharing between remote computers in 1966. So if I speak of the word remote, no, that means in two different areas. You got one over here and one over there. But instead of one over here and one over there, you have one in California and one in Massachusetts. That kind of thing. It was a resource sharing thing, the exchange of packets of information. In 1981, it was greatly expanded by governmental funds that allowed for supercomputing. And as far as the public's concerned, I'm not saying the military didn't use this, but as far as the public was concerned, this sharing of information was at several in, uh, universities uh, like Stanford and MIT. This resource sharing was referred to as ARPANET. ARPANET, A-R-P-A-N-E-T, and you see there in the parentheses, 
A Advanced R Research P Projects A Agency Network. That's what it meant. It was primarily resource gathering. Um, it was formally decommissioned in 1980. And I am giving you an extremely simplified version of a lot of details. If you want more details, you can read after him. It was decommissioned, ARPANET was, in um, 1990. And soon there was the passing of the National Information Infrastructure Act of 1991. And in parentheses, anybody know what the, do you remember those old heads here? Do you remember what it was referred to as the Who's Bill? He would later run for president talking about how he invented the internet. It was referred to as the Gore Bill. He was a U.S. Senator from Tennessee, and he was one of the champions of the National Infrastructure Bill that was signed into law. No, he did not invent the internet, but he was instrumental in hobbling together the necessary support that President Bush, H.W., would sign into law that would open the door to the building of communications, networks, databases, and software that could be available to public and private sectors. In fact, from the early part, really the early part of the 1990s, maybe about 94, 95, to the point that you get 2007, 2008, and 2007 is your first keyboard-less smartphone. But by the time you get to there, you, you go from having a thousand worldwide hosts so with ARPANET, you had these various remote computers that had their smaller networks, about a thousand of them worldwide. And by the time you come to maybe 2010, uh, you have not a hundred million, but hundreds of millions of hosts around the world. With the rise of the first uh, keyboard-less smartphone in 2007, anybody remember what it is? The iPhone. I was the first one that didn't have a clicky, clicky keyboard, I believe. But the access to the World Wide Web now was at the fingerprints of, or uh, yeah, fingertips rather, of each user. We're now advancing with AI, artificial intelligence. This is something that most people interact with to some degree every day. These systems have been developed that can do complex tasks in manufacturing and healthcare. Someone told me recently of a plant that they retired from and that they are taking half of that plant. It's a multi-billion dollar process in the production of glass and the raw material will come in, be processed, be finished, be packaged, be loaded, and human hands will not touch it until the delivery time. All of it is being done through sophisticated software and technological advancement in this age. A lot of that is the ability of computers that are no longer just user-friendly, but they can, through their development, be given very highly pointed skill sets. The capability of reaching the masses with the gospel has been aided with AI as well. In fact, uh, I'll give you two illustrations with that, but our, our um, uh, YouTube page that we have some messages on, for a long while we could interact with uh, YouTube and very, uh, various other means, and you could have uh, a sermon with a uh, closed caption in 216 different languages with close to 85 to 90 percent accuracy, and it was free. 
The reason we stopped doing it is because we were uploading on Sermon Audio, and they recently, uh, through many years of work, have had a similar technology, and every message that we upload uh, on Sermon Audio has a CC by it. We do nothing. Their software, AI-type software, comes in, listens to the entire message, and then text it in English. And once it's in the English language, you can go and uh, the next point, you could get a written transcript from it, but it can also be converted into practically any language around the world. That's a very positive thing, isn't it? However, with any good, there's often bad, isn't there? Equally, the advancement of misinformation and error has gone global as well. The current technological advancements demand prudence in the heart of every child of God. We can't simply pass on. For punishment, calamity will come. We must know how to hide in biblical truth and find the shelter midst the storm. As stated earlier, a prudent man has wisdom. And the attaining of wisdom, Proverbs chapter 4, is of paramount importance. So let's take a few moments, and I want to answer these blanks. We'll refer to it many times over the coming week, but turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 is the last portion of the Lord's Mount, Sermon on the Mount message. And he's answering how to get wisdom, because that's the essential thing. Looking at all the technological advancements of the digital age, they're not. It's not just simply that they're, oh, it's sin and we should just withdraw from it, but it is greatly important to know how to use it, how to guard yourself, how to implement uh, some boundaries in the lives of your children. Failure to do so will be destructive. Listen to these words of the Lord in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken unto a wise man which built his house upon the rock upon a rock. And the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not. Why? For it was founded upon a rock. He endured the calamity. He endured, if you will, with our title, the danger of his time. The rains descended, he speaks of another one now, and everyone that heareth, in verse 26, these sayings of mine and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sands, and the calamity of his time came. The rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. How do I get wisdom? I think from this passage we learn two important disciplines. That if you're going, it's going to determine whether or not you're going to be a simpleton or have the opportunity to be a prudent one. Two important disciplines. Number one is hearing. You'll find them in verse 24 and doing. He heard in verse 24 and did them. You are not a prudent man or a prudent woman simply because you heard. You are not a prudent person just because you did something. In order to be classified as a prudent individual, you heard the truth and you obeyed the truth. So those two are paramount to obtaining wisdom. And then, of course, it's not simply having it in one area of life, 
Not only do I need these two disciplines of hearing and doing in order to obtain the wisdom of God, but I've got to develop some regular practices in our life. It's necessary. Why? Because calamities change. Because times change. Because new technology arises. And each one I need the wisdom of God applied in my life. So what do I do to maintain these disciplines? I'll give you four. The first two really correlate to hearing and the last two to doing. The first two are this, attention and meditation. Someone or something is going to direct your path. I know that this is going to hurt our feelings of what I'm about to say. This is going to hurt our feelings, so buckle in for a second. You and I are not intelligent enough, wise enough, nor wonderful enough to simply successfully figure out everything without the wisdom of God. I know that hurts our feelings. Because somewhere along the line we were told we were intelligent, pretty, and smart. Well, we're not. We need the wisdom of an almighty God. There must be attention. We are, Isaiah 53, prone to wonder from truth. We are prone to veer from the path of the righteous. We are prone to question the commands of God. That's what Mama Eve did in the garden. That's what Daddy Eve, da uh, Daddy Eve, <laughs> Daddy Adam did, you know, when he looked and he said, I'm just going to go along with, to get along. That's what Daddy, what was his name again? Adam did. And Mama Eve said, well, I think God didn't really mean what he said. I'll just bite. You see the problem? And that is how we operate as individuals. There is no new thing under the sun. I'll give you a couple of passages, but time won't allow. But you go to Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 8. And Proverbs chapter 2 and Proverbs chapter 3 and Proverbs chapter 4. And there is the beckoning 14 times in the first seven chapters of Proverbs. The writer is looking, my son, hear my instruction. My son, hear my instruction. My son, hear my instruction. Why? Because son, you're a dummy in life and you need the wisdom of God. And so that ought to be my application and understanding of scriptures as well. I need attention. Number two, I need meditation. Why? Because my mind is broken. God's thoughts and God's ways are far superior to my thoughts and ways. I need his mind on the matter. How do I get his mind? Well, he told Joshua, turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Meditate thou in the law of God. Then shall thou make thy way prosperous, and then you shall have... I need to meditating on the Word of God. I need to have a systematic means by which I allow the Word of God to clean my broken mind. Broken for a number of reasons. It's broken because of sin. It's broken because of a complete incomplete understanding. It's broken because I have a, re, a bent towards being rebellious. That's what my mind is broken with. And I need the Word of God to cleanse it. And the R word in the New Testament, this is given probably two or three times, I need my mind renovated, renewed in the spirit of your mind. Romans chapter 12. The last two relate to doing. Obedience, I need obedience. I've heard, I've given attention and meditation, now I need obedience. A better part of obedience is submission to the Holy Spirit of God in my life. I need to comply. 
Oh, may God help us from being forward individuals that will not obey the express commands of God. And the last one is this, endurance. I need some continuance. Why? Because there's always going to be a new decision that needs to be made. There's always going to be trouble on the horizon. There's always going to be a calamity down the road. Therefore, it is to the prudent man, he needs some endurance. He needs to keep after it. If our families would be preserved from this common danger, we must not be seeking our own hearts, but God's principles. We must not follow after our whims, but be set in our minds and hearts to follow after God's righteousness. We must not be lackadaisical and ignorant, but consistent and intentional. We must not deceive our own selves. Why? For danger may already be at our gate. Sometimes we think of these technological matters and there's some good. Uh, I think most of us at one point in life have come to the point of having a level of, of, uh, of being blessed by some technology. I think that's probably worth saying, but I'm going to tell you this. There's a lot of destruction that has come as well. The prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple Pass on and notice the intentionality of those last words are destroyed. The common danger. Father. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112 and visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.